podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Lacoom Show on ESPN. Two terrific guests coming your way. Two stalwarts of the UK NFL broadcasting scene making their debut on the show. Uh, but they are no strangers to you, I'm sure. Richard Graves from Sky Sports leading off with all the big news around the NFL over the last seven days. Some big stories to get into with him. And then Will Gavin, uh, my co-host over on the Talk Sport Network when it comes to NFL. Of course, one of the gridiron gang uh, dropping by to talk about his beloved San Francisco 49ers uh, and uh, plenty more besides. So lots to get into. We will get straight down to business and check in with Richard Graves. So our first guest this week has been part of Sky's NFL broadcast coverage for many a year. I have worked a ton of events with him, albeit for, for different broadcasters. We've sunk plenty of beers together, but we've never done a show together. That is all about to change right here, right now. Richard Graves, welcome to the show, man. Breaking new ground now. I'm loving this. Going forward, step by step, year by year, we break through that final frontier. I finally made it onto the Nat Coombs show. It is, what, 13, 13 years? Did you start around the same time as me with NFL? We're kind of roughly the same sort of age, the same kind of trajectory, right? So what was your first yeah, year I was a, a couple of I was a couple of years after you uh, because mm. I was doing things like uh, a rolling edit on the Super Bowl right through the night back here when you guys were over in the States. And the first mm. time I think we actually, our paths crossed at, at the Super Bowl was mm. back in New York, 2014, I think. Right, yeah, um, yeah. And, yeah. And I'll, I'll never forget, because people um, obviously won't, won't know watching on TV, but as international media, you're quite fortunate you get to go on the field uh, at the end of the game and get first stabs at talking to the Super Bowl winners. But you, you have to congregate, don't you, in, in an area right down in the basement, the bowels of, of the stadium, and you're watching the final couple of minutes of the game on TV because you're not allowed field side at that point. And you and I are there in the tunnel waiting uh, for somebody to, to take us out. And next thing you know, we're, we're being led out. We've been given the green light. And I'm looking around, where, where's Nat? And throughout that whole night, never found out what happened to you. And, and then, of course, it later transpired that you'd lost your cameraman and in a was, frantic search was trying to find someone, anyone to, to was, help you out. It was, yeah, that was pretty much it. It was, it was so surreal. So, I mean, the, the backstory with this, and I'm probably boring our, our regular listeners if I've told them before, but I was, and you will remember this, because we were in New York all week and, and doing all kinds of stuff. I was Channel 4, you were Sky. I was dog sick by the Sunday. By the game day, I was, I'd had, I caught super flu and it was flu. It was genuine flu listeners. Super flu by the time uh, we got to Sunday. So game day, I was running on empty. God knows how I got through that broadcast. You watch back the tape and you wouldn't know a thing. But my, my uh, cameraman, we all had our camera when we were on the sidelines and it was someone I go way back with. Uh, you know, when I started out was, was somebody I worked with just coincidentally back in the day, Dave Caulfield, uh, who, who's, who's brilliant. But we got separated from our regular cameraman. Do you remember? We were given a different crew when we go round to the to the tunnel so there were maybe what half a dozen of us i guess and all sitting there standing there ready to go and as you say we had this area that was uh, was uh, cordoned off for us so we're going to get russell wilson we're going to get sherman we're going to get all the big the big names and it's you know, it's chaos as well isn't it because to, to go on you, ha- you get given a bright fluorescent colored bib and yes. only so many of those go out and the, the nfl representative with you um he's having an argument with the stewards because 
we individually don't have the right accreditation, but he's authorised to take us through. So it's absolutely yes. pandemonium. And New York particularly, right, was, was you know, a hypersensitive for, for obvious reasons. So it was a, it was a classic, a study in the tunnel, you know, on all kinds of cocktail of very strong uh, over-the-counter uh, of cold drugs. <laughs> and, um, uh, and then, you know, it was uh, ESPN, go! Sky Sports, go! Channel 4, go! Channel Four, go! <laughs> I was going, why are we moving? Why are we moving to the camera? And he's like, it's the camera, the, the thing's jammed. Oh my god, unbelievable! But you know what, Gracie, I'm proud of this. I did still manage to pull a few interviews out of the bag before we got before we got out. It was the last bloody thing I was going to do. It was to nail one. So yeah, so yeah. Look, we, like I always say, that the consummate professional. Oh, <laughs> oh, flattery will get you everywhere, my friend. <laughs> uh, now let's get into uh, news because there's a lot going on. Uh, starting with people getting paid. Richard Grayson, I'm not talking about your new Sky Sports contract. <laughs> I'm waiting, still waiting. What? Uh, Joey, <laughs> five-year, $135 million extension. This made me laugh, and I think it might you as well. Tom Telesco, the Chargers GM. Uh, there was an LA Times article two days ago pr- before the deal was announced that said Tom Kalesko expects Bosa to turn up to camp. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, th- I think he will now with that kind of money. So look, what do you make of the deal? I mean, no, no doubt about the fact he's, he's an elite player in his position. It is at that top tier, right? It's almost identical to, to the Garrett deal. And I guess the Chargers, Graves, are in that situation where they need to pay, pay big. They need that, that wattage, that star power, irrespective of anything else on the field, right? Well, he is the star player on the defensive side of the ball out there at the Chargers, without a doubt, and he's earned the contract. Um, $135 million is a lot of money, and my initial thought was, well, if Joey Bosa's getting paid that, hang on to your hats in San Francisco, because they're going to have to pay Nick Bosa in a couple of years' time <laughs> as well. So, yeah, absolutely. A, a fantastic deal. Um, certainly, from Joey Bosa's perspective, he's happy. That means that... The Chargers have got one of the leaders in their team, which is important this year when you consider what they're looking on the offensive side. Um, Jared Taylor, uh, sorry, Tyrod Taylor's likely to start week one as their quarterback, but they've taken Justin Herbert in the first round uh, of this year's draft. It's a big move that, for the LA Chargers. Let me just start, dive in straight on, on that for a minute because there was an interesting quote from Anthony Lynn right, about Tyrod, which, which I thought was fascinating because, as you say, quite rightly, everybody's ex- been expecting that, that Tyrod will start. He fits the offense so well. I mean, I, that was one of the, the slight surprises, I think, that, that they took Herbert at all because of that. You know, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a good fit in principle there. Uh, for Tyrod Taylor, uh, he'll probably be our day one starter <laughs> in the media, which doesn't, doesn't exactly uh, fill me with confidence that, that he will be. Um, so I thought that was an interesting, interesting side note. But sorry, back to Bosa. So yeah, it, you, it, were you kind of alluding to the fact that maybe they've overpaid a bit? Well, I, I think well, personally, you, look, you, you can't argue with, with the stats. Bosa has been phenomenal since... He was, he was signed, um, I think it was a 2016 draft right. by the, the LA Chargers. But when you consider what Aaron Donald was paid a year mm. or two ago, you, you mentioned the Miles Garrett um, contracts as well. For me, Aaron Donald's the best player, best defensive player in, in the league. Certainly when you're scheming against an opponent, you see Aaron Donald uh, on the opposite side of the ball. You, you better make sure you make provision for him, otherwise he's going to ruin your plans. Joey Bosa's been good. He's been great in games. I don't think he's at that very top tier. I don't think you can argue with what what he's been paid, but often the you, you find that the real truth comes out once a player's been paid. Mm. Do they still have that that hunger, that desire, that drive, that passion? Will they con- continue 
putting up the figures. I've got no reason to believe that Joey Bosa won't, but mm. I think this is a big year coming up right now. Big time. Okay, so Bosa getting paid. Jamal Adams on the go. This broke uh, after we dropped our, our last pod uh, over the weekend. Of course, no doubt about it, one of the, the, the most exciting players in the league, one of the best defensive players in the league, widely expected to leave the Jets because things had got completely dysfunctional there. But the price the Seahawks have paid, Grazy is pretty big. First round picks in 21 and 22, a third rounder as well in next year's draft. Uh, and the Jets' fourth round pick in 22 goes the other way. Uh, sorry, goes to Seattle. Bradley McDougal goes the other way to New York, who's a, you know, a, a solid pro, but obviously not uh, nearly at the same level. So I think I see what Pete Carroll's trying to do here. It's a difficult thing to, to recreate and try and chase former glories but when you think about the Quandre Diggs deal as well he's trying to build a formidable secondary isn't he? He is let's deal with the New York Jets side of this first Mm. because that's more straightforward from my perspective they are in rebuild mode I think for them this is a great deal yes they're losing the best player on their defense but they're stocking up on draft picks they acquire Bradley McDougald who whilst not being Jamal Adams is still a very good safety in the NFL can play free safety strong safety so I think they've got every reason to be happy with it Um, now this is where it gets interesting as you know I like to keep tabs on all things Dallas and last October just before the trade deadline there was a lot of smoke around Jamal Adams he basically called out Dallas and said come and get me Mm. the talk was at the time that Dallas were offering a first round and maybe a third round pick the Jets didn't want to know Uh, as time went on you get to the end of the season you realize he's going to have to be paid in the next 18 months or so that the spitballing around here they were saying maybe would you offer a first and a fourth round pick maybe the Jets Mm. would go for that certainly no one was ever talking in terms of two first rounders and then some now I'll tell you why I think this is a good deal for the Seattle Seahawks with the COVID-19 pandemic there's a lot of talk we might not see any college football right uh, this coming autumn over in the States if that's the case then your scouting team best be on top of their job they best know their stuff because they're going to have very limited if anything to go on heading into the 2021 draft Mm. so whilst you say on the New York Jets side wow you've got this boatload of draft picks your ratings as scouting department can vary wildly to what somebody right away on the other coast at the LA Rams or San Francisco 49ers might have Mm. for the same position whereas in Seattle now you know what you've got. You've got a proven NFL veteran player, a leader in his position that automatically makes your team better. So what you're doing by t- uh, giving away next year's first round pick is saying, I've got a surefire winner. That is my first round pick. Mm. So from Seattle's perspective, I do see where it makes a ton of sense. It's a bit of a risk for the New York Jets. They'll definitely be happy with what they've got because they've got a chance to rebuild. But I saw a crazy stat only the other day. I think it's something like, four of their last five first round picks they've traded away right now, if that's the case you've got to question what's going on behind the scenes there and all of a sudden that getting a boatload of picks may not be the gold mine that you're hoping for without mm. doubt though ultimately it's it's a deal that pleases both sides it's a, which is a i guess the very definition of a good deal right it's a very good point you make about the uh, completely uh unorthodox college season we're going to see if at all as, as you rightly say and I think that's looking less and less likely realistically right so it's a huge huge call in that respect plus unless something extraordinary happens and look again given the NFL season we might see and we'll talk about that in a minute I guess 
things could be turned on their head in a way that we can't predict at the moment. But realistically, the Seahawks are going to be competitive, which means that first round pick next year is going to be what? In the 20s, most likely, right? Uh, and so it, that changes the complexion. It's not as if they, uh, you know, oh, they've locked in a top seven, top eight pick here. I mean, most likely it's going to be like 23, 24. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you look at that division that they play in as well. You've now got Jamal Adams in Seattle. You've got Aaron Donald at the LA Rams, Patrick Peterson uh, at the Arizona Cardinals. And we all know about San Francisco 49ers defense. If you like defensive football, you're going to like that division this season. Well said. It's a fascinating uh, division. And Will Gav is dropping by later on, of course, on the show. Deep dive on the 49ers in particular, but we'll, uh, we'll look around at the, the other contenders in the West, which I think is all of the teams in the West, quite frankly, <laughs> could, uh, put, uh, could put forward an argument that they are contenders. All right. Uh, players opting out, that is uh, the other big news this week and quite a few. Unsurprisingly, yeah, we've seen this in other sports as well. I don't think anyone's surprised that players are doing it. Uh, the, I guess the question is which ones we need to look at it and, and how that impacts their, their respective teams that they, uh, they are leaving behind temporarily. But also, I'm keen, Gravesy, to get your perspective on what you think this means in, in, in the bigger picture, the reasons given. Now, obviously, some are given... Uh, uh, cause to to sit out uh, for medical conditions, and they are advised by their by their doctors, and they are getting a higher stipend as a result. Other players are choosing to opt out, not specifically, or they have a direct medical condition, but on grounds that that, that they just don't feel comfortable doing that. Uh, Damian Williams is is the most recent big name to say he's not going to be playing this season. Devin Funches these days, of course, um, applying his trade at the Packers. The Patriots have had a, a, a chunk of players, including Dante Hightower, Patrick Chung. I mean, some real veterans on. Bolden as well, not, not going to play Cannon too. So a lot of the, the Patriots vets uh, sitting out. Across the board, there's what, 15, 20 players that have, that have said they're not going to take part and there's still time for others to, to join that line. Uh, as I say, not a surprise that uh, players aren't uh, sitting out, but what do you make of it? And, and in particular, I think the Patriots are fascinating that so many New England players are, are opting out. Yeah, I saw a, a tweet. Um, I think it was from... from one of the insiders um, over there in the States yesterday that's spoken to another NFL executive and he asked that question about the Patriots and the response from the NFL was, you know Bill Belichick's got a plan behind this. Nothing happens over <laughs> yes. there without right. a reason behind it. Right. Uh, and I think the Patriots, there's a master plan somewhere in, in the background. But no, seriously, you've got, right. like you say, 15 to 20 players that have just decided to talk out. Um, right. Oh, Great, you just broke up on that. Do you want to pick up on the... Um, uh, on the tweet. I think it was Shefty, actually. Yeah. You just broke up, so we can yeah, just pick yeah. up on that. Yeah, Yeah. no, yesterday I think it was. I saw a tweet from possibly Adam Schefter saying he'd spoken to uh, an NFL executive about the Patriots situation, and he turned around and said, well, you know Bill Bel- Belichick's got a plan behind this. He's in control, <laughs> which I think probably sums up what we all think about Belichick and the Patriots. There's always a, a grander scheme, a master plan at work, isn't there? Uh, but seriously, no, it, without a doubt, when you lose six of your, your veteran players, even mm. before you step foot on the field for training camp, that's going to be a blow, especially when you think of the number of Super Bowls experience that some of those players have. But equally, you know, in Dante Hightower, um, you've got a, a guy that's just had a, a baby, I think July 16th. Right. Patrick Chung, I think, has had a new addition right. to his family as well. So you understand that. Then you go to the San Francisco 49ers, I think it is, with Marcus Goodwin, who yeah. has got, you know, well-documented uh, personal history um, with family issues, and they've had a, a newborn or certainly expecting one, so you can understand why he's, he's opting out. 
as well. So there are, you know, genuine decisions and reasons behind some of these decisions. But ultimately, when you talk about just pure numbers, we're talking about 20 players at the moment. Now, you've got somewhere nearing 3,000 that are, are turning up for training camp looking to be involved. I spoke to Steve Weish from the NFL Network only yesterday mm. about this subject. And he's of the belief, having visited in person uh, the training camp facility that the LA Rams have now got in position and, and all the contingencies that they have to have in place um, to protect players and personnel staff from the coronavirus, that once the players are in there, they, they get educated and understand what's going on. Uh, people will become a little bit more relaxed about this and come September the 10th or we, we will kick off. But the, the interesting thing mm. that he points out as well, which I must admit I never really thought of, is it's maybe not even right now that's the, the serious issue for teams. You know, you could come out of the, the traps, all guns blazing, and get to an 8-2 and two record, uh, be in November, and suddenly you, you're unfortunate enough to, to have a, um, a case of the coronavirus in the camp that sidelines some of your key players for a number of weeks. And that, that can, if you haven't um, put together a, a roster correctly in depth, that can derail your season. So sure. it's not just right here and now that everybody in the NFL is focused on. They really are focused on the entire season. It's a great, it's a great point. And uh, it was occurring to me, actually, that uh, just listening to already with MLB up and running, uh, players that, that have been taken out uh, for a period of time, we're going to see it, of course, when NBA resumes as well. And NBA, I guess it's a little bit closer. Even in you know, baseball, you lose a starting pitcher. That's a blow, right? particularly as one of your aces, but you have a rotation. That's the point. Uh, you, know, you lose a, a DH that is hitting you know, 350. A blow, of course, but you have strength and depth there. If you're losing a quarterback, which is you know, singularly the most influential position in any sport, then it, it's an altogether different game changer. You could you know, be in a situation where Lamar Jackson goes down, is, you know, is taken out, and it can absolutely affect the trajectory in a way that it, it won't in any other sport. In any other sport, it won't in football. Yes, but I, guess, I guess NBA is the closest. You know, if you're talking the Lakers without LeBron, you know, obviously a significantly diminished, but they're still competitive. You take out Aaron Rodgers from Green Bay, they're, they're just, it's, just not, it's just not the same thing. So what do you make? I was listening to, to Mina Kimes' show, and hey, I'm a company man, of course, so I listen to all the ESPN shows. Of course. And, uh, Mina was talking with Dan Graziano uh, about all of this, really, and the deal that the NFL and the NFLPA have, have agreed and the detail within and looking at the logistical approach that the NFL is taking to, to all of this and commenting in the process that it is a widespread mindset that we're going to take things day by day. I mean, literally day by day, just reacting to what is happening specifically with individual training camps in the NFL, observing what is happening with Major League Baseball. And of course, it's been a, a significant week in that respect there, given you know, what's going on in Florida. But it is day-to-day, and this idea that the NFL is probably going to have to adapt on a number of, in a number of different ways over the, over the course of the coming months. Putting that together with what we've just talked about with players choosing to opt out for different reasons, but nevertheless all substantial reasons, probably no fans in the stadium, which I know some teams are holding on to that fact, and you know, De- you know Denver in particular are saying, oh, they might you know, have a few thousand in, but it's... It, even if a few teams have a few thousand fans, it's going to be weird and different. How do you feel taking self-interest, professional interest out of it as a fan, Gravesy? 
How do you feel about a season going ahead this autumn? Well, here's the thing. And I'll go all the way back to last April, May, when I had numerous conversations with, with people around the NFL, associated with the NFL, either through work or, or other means. Uh, and at the time, they were saying, look, we're just going to sit tight, see how this pans out. And, you know, I think there was a feeling that come September, time heals everything and things would be a lot better. I think what we've seen in the last couple of weeks with what, quite frankly, on the out, on the surface, at least, appeared to be something of a frantic rush to get an agreement in place that the NFLPA found satisfactory and the NFL could actually accommodate has been a, a marked change in, in philosophy on, on all parts. Um, as a fan, I think what we've seen from other sports, most notably football over here in the UK and in Europe, and what TV is able to do to sort of fill in for the fans with ambient sound um, and just make it look and feel more realistic I think that's been taken on board over in the States by the NFL. I think they were looking to learn from what the MLS did in their bubbles over in Disney World, over there in Florida, and now the NBA. I think people were surprised by what's happened with um, the Marlins um, over there in baseball. But equally, people, even in the last two days, have been keen to point out to me, hey, look, in baseball, you play a game, you up sticks, you move on, next day you play another game, and it's every day of the week. The NFL isn't like that. You sure. play one game every week. You have time to be in your bubble, to protect players, to protect personnel staff. And I think all that has been brought acutely into focus from a professional side, certainly logistical point of view, over the last week, 10 days or so. So as a fan, I've got to be honest, if, if you can, to the best of your ability, ensure the safety and well-being of players and personnel around teams, then you're going to sit down on a Sunday night you're in the UK at 6 p.m., you're going to turn on the TV and you are going to enjoy watching football. Uh, mm. I, I think, honestly, you speak to fans for all the conjecture that you'll see on social media right now about, oh, I'm not happy with this aspect. or I'm not happy about what this coach or player has said about something else. I think come September the 10th, all, all of those same fans will still be turning their TV sets on. They'll be watching the game. Yeah, it's, it's a, an interesting point you touched on with the broadcast side that I think the NFL in particular lends itself well to broadcast in this situation right the thing that that we love about well I'll speak for you but I'm but I'm pretty sure you'd agree the thing that we love about the game one of the things we love about the game that that detractors don't is is the stop start nature and as fans uh, we love the suspense that creates and we love the the game of chess that that plays out and those uninitiated who who, who don't like the game find that frustrating but that I think lends itself very well to broadcast right you know that yeah the, I, I absolutely agree and yeah, I absolutely agree with you there, Nat. And also, you've got to make it equally appealing for the players as well. And one thing I noticed that was happening over in the States, certainly with the MLS is back campaign, is that they were sticking big jumbotrons behind goal mouths. So when a player mm. scored, he could celebrate with fans. Do not be surprised if you see that in the NFL, because mm. when players score a touchdown, they want to celebrate. So it's about getting the interaction from the players as much as it is the fans. And if you get those two things right, one feeds off the other. The NFL... Don't doubt it for a second. Over there in New York, they are keenly, eagle-eyed, watching everything that's gone on. I would not be surprised if there's been conversations that's taken place with the Premier League over here, because let's be honest, two months ago, there were serious doubts whether 
they were going to finish the seasons. Mm. There were certainly conversations that's taken place over in Germany with how the Bundesliga managed to go about their business because they were the first to come back and complete the season. So in theory, at least, come September, the NFL should have a wealth of information um, that it can collate and experience to draw upon from other sports, both good and bad. And it's important that they learn from that. Yeah, yeah, well said. The On an associated point, John Elway had quite an interesting quote this week. Uh, he was talking specifically about Drew Locke and the offense generally, which is, which is expected, of course, to really contend with, uh, with the, the signings that they've made. Elway's come out and tempered expectations, saying, I don't think we could expect with no offseason for us to come out and be hitting on all cylinders. And I think he's probably in lockstep with every GM in, in, in the league, every head coach in the league who is clearly going to be tempering expectation as to the certainly with the younger players the level they will be hitting the ground running but in any new situation where a player is going in to a new situation or a coach or a coordinator is going in to a new situation this fractious offseason is going to be challenging to deal with how much so do you think and again I know it's impossible to predict precisely but given I mean I've heard stories that players there's a serious concern with a number of teams that players uh it's the level of shape their players are going to be turning up in given that's always a concern maybe not as much as it was <laughs> 20 25 years ago right with this generation but nevertheless there is always that hence the whole well one of the main principles of of trading cap which is let's get them let's get them back in shape and there there is a concern no doubt that what kind of condition are a lot of these players going to be rocking up in so so many different factors at play here are we going to see a sluggish start to the season if it starts on time I think it's fairly safe to say we're going to see drops that we wouldn't expect. Mm. We're going to see defensively poorer performances than we've become used to. Um, And we're going to see some players blowing in the first few weeks. (laughs) Look, at at the end of the day, there's a reason why players are reporting seven to ten day physicals before they even step foot out on a field. It's because you haven't had any OTAs. You haven't had any work going on um, through spring training camps. These players, for many of them, this will be the first time they've met their teammates in person um, since they packed up their locker and shipped out in in January. So, yeah, you're going to take time. Um, I I don't think we're going to go all the way back to, say, the Jim McMahon Chicago Bears days when (laughs) a beer was the standard diet, you know. (laughs) Uh, um, But certainly, I think for many, it'll be an eye-opener because, you know, expectation now of what the acceptable standard is and it only a fool I think would walk into training camp and go into the start of the season this time around expecting every player to be at the level that they usually are because you know a lot of these guys are young athletes you know they're just making their way into the NFL some like we've been talking about uh, may have just been paid so that there is a whole new world that that opens up and the distractions that obviously come with it so Coaching staff have got their work cut out. Training staff have got their work cut out. And for the players as well, the leaders that we talk about in the locker room, there's going to be an extra weight on their shoulders to make sure the rest of that locker room it is in step and does follow them. So come week one, yeah, you haven't had the off-season work between um, Drew Locke and, say, Jerry Judy, a rookie wide receiver. So you don't have that timing. That, that's another reason why people were looking at what the New England Patriots did with with Cam Newton and said, well, mm. hang on, why did they go for him rather than somebody that's perhaps not unpro- proven yet? Mm. Well, it's because there's a feeling out there that the lack of off-season work is going to affect people. So when you look at Joe Burrow up there in, mm. 
in um, Cincinnati. There's question marks about what he can do, as good as he was in college football. NFL's at another level. And when you look at the LA Chargers, like we did a few moments ago, and talk about Tyrod Taylor starting week one ahead of Justin Herbert, the simple reason for that is Tyrod Taylor has, is a proven NFL quarterback. No matter what you think of the level he plays at, He's a veteran of the team, and Anthony Lynn needs that, and that's why he is more on caution with Herbert and says, I'm not ruling him out starting at all this season, but week one at the moment, we're looking at Taylor. Yeah, I, uh, I hear you. And um, incidentally, I think Tyra Taylor, one of the more underrated players in the, in the NFL, but don't get me started on that. Uh, we are almost out of time, Gravesy, on your first, but by no means last appearance on, on the show. <laughs> Before we go, though, I want to talk to you a bit about where everything leaves you because it was interesting as we were we were rolling uh before we were rolling whether it was a chat and getting set up to uh to do the show you were saying one of the strangest things about all of this the last four or so months is that you've never been busier right things things are rolling for you so what what does the season hold for you because obviously like like me and like like many of us that, that work in in the game over here no international series which which is a blow but we all often see you rocking up at, you know, Jerry World, uh, Foxborough, and, uh, you know, popping up in different places during the season. So are those trips going to be still on, do you hope, for, for Sky? Well, the honest answer is nobody knows right now. If it was happening tomorrow, it's a no. You're not allowed to travel to the United States due to the way the pandemic's progressing out there. The bizarre thing is, like, as you say, we're talking about during the course of the spring and summer, everybody's been working remotely from home. I've converted my, my spare bedroom, much to my wife's chagrin, into a mini studio <laughs> set. Um, nice Tim Tebow book, by the way, behind you there, I spot. I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah. That was just what, you know, you, you'll do this as well, I'm sure. You put a book or something behind you to see who notices. Um, yeah, you spotted <laughs> any of my, like, it, it read none of them, but they look good. <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, that's a great Joe DiMaggio book. That's for another show. Sorry, crazy, go on. So, so yeah, I was, I was just going to say that, you know, be it NFL free agency, the draft, then obviously um, what's happened with Washington, the potential name change, the Black Lives Matter movement following George Floyd's uh, death. The NFL and what's happening in the States, it strikes me, has never been who's worthy or popular than it has been this year, this summer. Um, so from that perspective, I, I've been as busy with NFL-related stuff as I, I can remember. Um, but you look ahead now to the coming season, how will it pan out? The honest answer is nobody knows. Mm. Do we want to get out there? Yeah, absolutely we do. We're not going to do it until it's safe to do so. Um, so whether that was week one or mid-season, Thanksgiving, post-season. T- time will tell, but fingers crossed at some point we'll get out there. But first and foremost, obviously, you've got to understand that there's a pandemic that's still prevalent and we need to find a way to, to sort that. In big time. Listen, it's been great to catch up with you and, and see you in such uh, fine spirits. Thanks for a brilliant debut performance on the show. Look after yourself and come back soon, I hope. Our pleasure as always, Nat. Enjoyed every moment. And yeah, let's not leave it so long next time. It is great to have Will Gavin on the show, broadcaster, talk sport colleague, host of the Gridiron podcast, and perhaps most importantly, the man who wrote me into his fantasy league many moons ago, and it is a league where I continue to disappoint after, after all these years. The worst part being is that I continue to disappoint in that league as well. I think I've made the playoffs one year in that league, maybe. <laughs> it's sure. it, Genuinely, we, there, were, there were kind of, of the people who were in there who were in theory, you know, kind of media guys and stuff, we've all been terrible. So, yes. uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
you know. I, I, my favourite moments in that league, uh, you'll remember this fondly, a friend of the show, Mark Hunter, uh, drafting Ben Tate in the first round. Is... <laughs> oh, yeah, not famously brilliant. Uh, uh, in fact, Mark Hunter ended up dropping out after about three years. And I mm. think that was more about performance than commitment, to be honest. <laughs> I think mm. levels of embarrassment just reached a whole other, whole other world. But uh, yeah, I mean, we've all done it though. We've all gone and been really, you know, cocksure about making some splashy pick early on and then been made to look yes. very, very stupid by it. I'm glad you didn't mention my Brandon Whedon pick. What you, yeah, well, you, I, I bit my tongue. You brought it up. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, Nat yeah. picked Brandon Whedon one year. Yeah, you're going to love the Whedon. Uh, listen, man, there's lots I want to get into with you. We're going to deep dive a bit in your 49ers, of course, in particular. Look, at, look at the West in, in detail. We've had Gravesy on earlier and, and covered most of the news stories. There are one or two other things I want to, want to talk to you about. But first things first, you and I have, I worked the last few Super Bowls together. We, you know, we've been at others when we've been working with, with different people. So are we going to be out in Tampa in February, clocking up another one? Or is that me just being wildly optimistic? I mean, you know, throwing stones in glass houses is always a little risky when you consider how our response in this country has been to this pandemic. But to be fair it's nice occasionally to look at countries like Brazil and America and go, oh, at least it's not that bad. Um, mm-hmm. I, right now, I, I still can't see it. I would love it to happen. And in fact, I had a conversation with the guys at, at TalkSport reasonably recently, and they were really confident still on sending us out there, on us doing it live from the stadium in whatever format that would end up looking like, even if it's a behind closed doors, but with media there, like they would want us to still go there instead of doing it from here. But... Mm. Honestly, I will be, I'll be surprised outside of us getting a vaccine. Although the only thing I would say is that the, the, I don't know if you saw the official from the World Health Organization yesterday saying that basically the style of this virus didn't suggest that there would be a particular seasonal boost to it. So this idea that we're going to hit November, December, and it's just going to get horrendous again, mm. apparently isn't true. So that's the kind of fingers crossed hope is that it does just level out and peter out eventually. But I'm not feeling great about our chance of being out in the States in the next six months right now. Having said all that, and I guess you're alluding to this, the, this is uh, turned and the adapting to things changing and the NFL is, is you know, a master at that, right? Uh, uh, we were just discussing with Grazy about how they have had the benefit, I guess, of monitoring so many other leagues all around the world and how they've dealt with it. So there is, there's hope, I guess, that if, um, if the season does start and, and, and starts relatively uh, on time that there will be if, if other other issues raise their heads there will be uh cause for optimism the nfl will be able to, to deal that and continue to keep uh, the train on the tracks we shall see now speaking of uh, the season starting on time and news that we didn't talk about earlier on that i wanted to specifically get your take on will joe burrow signing his deal so 36.19 million I love the precision. (laughs) Got to be specific. (laughs) Got to be specific. 23.9 million of that is guaranteed. So we're not talking the good old Sam Bradford days, right? But a decent chunk of change. But as rookie quarterback, high first round picks go, is Burrow going to get a lot of grace, do you think? Because of everything we've just been talking about, if he struggles in a way that, as long as it doesn't go, you know, all Nate Peterman on us, then if he is even by rookie quarterback standards, lackluster is it still going to be a free hit given the the obvious challenges he's had preparing for the season 
I think the first thing I'd say is that I'm not writing him off actually having a good season yet. I think a lot of people are going, well, with all this in mind, let's not judge him if it's not a good season. I think they've got a huge amount of talent on the offense, particularly if AJ Green comes back and looks good. I really like T Higgins, John Ross III stretching the field and, and Tyler blazes, Boyd yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good receiving core. Um, Workable at tight ends. You, you worry about their offensive line, but there's guys like Jonah Williams who didn't play a snap last year who you know, may, could come back in and, and have an early impact, hopefully, fingers crossed for them. You know, I think the Bengals have a chance of being the kind of, if they do manage to hit the ground running, the kind of hipster pick come mid-season for people who, who think that they might go somewhere or might be impressive in the same way that we might do that with the preseason mm. normally. But I just think I, I, I absolutely, for any rookie this year, feel like you've got to give them a bit of a free hit because mm. you've, by now they should have already gone through mini camps, OTAs. They should have been in the room with their teams. And as much as I know that there have been Zoom calls and I know that there have been you know, position groups working together and looking at film together and working on that side of their game, it, that's not the same as being in the room with experienced guys. And, you know, we, we meet players all the time and speak to them. And the impact that, say, when you speak to someone who comes into the NFL, maybe as a late round pick, maybe as an undrafted guy, or maybe from a, a less experienced background. I think of someone like F.A. Abada, for example. Mm-hmm. You think about him being in a room with guys like Julius Peppers and being next to him in the next locker over the amount you can learn just from those little conversations, just right. from him having his, you know, being in your ear during training and saying what, you know, what you could be doing better, how you could be turning your hips better, how you mm. could be getting your get off quicker. And those are things they're going to be missing out on. So I kind of feel like it, it, they are, everyone should get a pass this year. There almost should be no busts this year because it's unfair to judge people without a true off season, uh, assuming we get a true season in general. That week one is going to be so bizarre because mm. There's going to now be no opportunity for TV to practice to how the game's going to look, for stadiums to practice, for how it's all going to come together. And it's all, as much as the NFL is like the most prepared league in the world, there's going to be a bit of an on the hoof feel about it, I reckon, that week one without any preseason. Although I, I guess f- that, yeah, with the, everyone, we, we did the draft together, of course, with, with Greg Brady, but everyone was slightly worried about how that could go. And that went without a snag. So I guess from a broadcast perspective, they're hoping, hoping for similar. It's a great point you make about the. Uh, the the lack of close contact and the benefit that young players and obviously particularly rookies have early on with those vets that are, are going to throw in some ribbon as well, but are going to show them the, the right way and, and the path. And there's nothing, there's no substitute for, for that being, you know, face-to-face. And Jay Bell, when he was last on the show, and he said, Jay Bell on the show next week, get that plug in, uh, was talking about simply put in kind of binary terms, two types of players. One that, yep, can look at as many x's and o's sheets as you want and tape and completely get it from that and then players that need that physical walkthrough that need to experience what their coaches are saying and uh and so that is clearly going to have an impact in terms of the younger players certainly getting getting set um the nfl top 100 a lot of people talking uh, about that Uh, let's put this into context first because there's been a lot of concern and outrage and everything else with Mahomes landing at number four on this list. But we've got to, Will, explain, uh, illuminate when all this went down, right? Much like the, you know, the, the, the 
awards over here in the Premier League, they are filed and put in a long time before the races run, right? So a lot of these votes were cast when Mahomes wasn't exactly having, by his exceptional standards, a, 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 an exceptional season. Lamar Jackson obviously was, right? So that kind of explains a lot. No one's necessarily saying he's a better quarterback than, than Mahomes, but at the time the votes were cast, he was not where he was at the end of the season. I think you also have to understand that players will vote for the the guys that either that they play against, play with, or that they see in those brief right. kind of highlight moments they Good get point. to see. These are players voting for it. These aren't guys who are outside of their kind of 12 opponents a year. They're not sitting breaking down film of the guys that they're not facing. They're not sitting watching extended highlights. They're not getting on Game Pass and watching the coaches film and figuring out <laughs> why Lamar Jackson, it's more to do with the scheme maybe than his ability or versus Pat Mahomes. Is that true? And that kind of thing. I mean, I'm absolutely in agreement. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is not only the best player in the NFL, but will likely be the best player in the NFL for the next decade. And after this year, I imagine will hog that number one spot any year he's not injured for years and years and years to come Mm. I I don't see immediately anyone that's going to jump it but the fact is is that Tom Brady was voted the fifth best quarterback in the NFL Mm. and I think he was 14 overall somewhere around there Tom Brady is the best quarterback to ever play football but he wasn't the fifth best quarterback in the NFL last season. <laughs> sure. uh, and I know Patriots fans will complain about the line and the weapons and the, you know, that it never really clicked with the young guys coming in and everything else. But that was definitely a reputation pick. That was definitely, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. There's some stuff. Like when, Scorsese, they... like when Scorsese won an Oscar for probably shouldn't have done because of all the great ones that went before where he should have won. 100%. And The Departed is a good film. But it's not Taxi it's Driver. Departed, that's right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Trust me, I remember. I, <laughs> I'm sure I went off on a rant about that at the time as well. But look, have, you, have you seen like, The Irishman? I, I have. I actually went and saw The Irishman. I've not watched it again on Netflix. I went and saw mm. it at like, uh, oh, I forget what they're called. Those that small chain of cinemas where they do it. It's all like sofas and it's... Oh, Everyman. Uh, Everyman, yeah. So I went to The Everyman down in uh, South London, the one out mm. by near Croydon, I think it is. And... Um, Basically, I, the problem was was I was on a comfortable sofa, and they had they had no intermission. I managed to not fall asleep, <laughs> but it was borderline two or three times. And like, I think it's the kind of film you have to break into two because otherwise, like, yeah. put an intermission in there, and I would have been fine with it. But I was just like, this is an hour too long. This is easily yeah, an hour. Get a too chalk long. ice. They should bring those back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We Look, definitely had a chat. I remember. I've just well, it's just you just reminded me. We had a Pacino De Niro chat, didn't we? At one Super Bowl one year, I think on your show. That maybe, that yeah, maybe. Really, <laughs> one of the eight million interviews that you that, that you do on your it went during Super Bowl week. But on the on that basis, looking at the Irishman. Who do you think stood out? And obviously Pesci in there as well. Kaitel, I think, although it was a cameo in the conversation. Who who stood out for you out of those performances? I mean, this I, I spoke with uh, producer Harry beforehand, and I said, mm. uh, any topics, just just throw them at me. Honestly, I don't mind. Let me know if there's anything in particular you want to talk about, so I'm not <laughs> blindsided. I genuinely didn't expect to be talking about the Irishman, uh, <laughs> but there we go. Um, but you know who deserves some love considering that he's in there with De Niro, Pacino, Pesci, uh, guys like Bobby Cannavale who I really like as well. Stephen Graham. 
Stephen Graham I thought oh, was unbelievable in that terrific film. actor. He, terrific yeah. actor, with you 100%. Uh, we, listen, we've been doing movie uh, specials in the off-season. We should get you off for the next one, Will Gav, because otherwise uh, we're going to run out of time and have spent 11 minutes on the Irishman. <laughs> but I want to hear about it. I'm glad you like Stephen Graham as well. I do too. So the, look, the top 100, I don't know how I feel about these, these lists. I think they're fakely stupid. I mean, it's fun to talk about. I get it. It's kind of useful, I guess, to... To, to power rank in position and, and we're always going to have those discussions and you know particularly with the Dalton line as our friend TMR would uh, would say for all these years you know what level quarterback uh, the water margin of yeah we're going to be a, a contending team and potentially a Super Bowl winning team and this guy he's just too inadequate for us to get to get over the line like get all of that but at the same time I think it is fakely ridiculous looking at these terrific players and, and, and trying to rank them you know, one through 10. I just don't, don't quite get the purpose. There are two thoughts I have that I did want to share about the top 100 and one's positive and one's negative. The first one is what does Justin Tucker have to do to get in the NFL 100? Because mm. no kickers, no punters, no yep. special teams. Right. Uh, I, he's, I think, you know, I, there's an machine. argument that he is such a machine and so transcendent for the position that he deserves to be in there. Yep, but at the point. same time, George Kittle, number one tight end. Here we go. Highest ranked all time. Very much deserves, maybe not highest ranked all time. He's not Rob Gronkowski yet, but it was the, um, I, I think that he proved down the stretch. And what I loved was I watched the video back, the kind of six or seven minutes on his section this morning. And after they talked about the, the Gronk comparisons early on, the first two minutes of actual footage of him was top end defensive ends. Guys like Daniil Hunter, talking about his blocking, how much he enjoys it, how he's just chatting to them on the line constantly. Like, not talking smack, but just chatting away to them. Yeah. And, like, just how he is as good as most tackles in the league at that. And that's what I loved. Mm. I was just like, yep, yeah, that is the... Because people will look at the kind of Travis Kelsey's numbers over five years and yes. suggest that he's not hit that consistency yet. But, honestly, Kittle is the all-round guy, and I, I love him to pieces. And complete... He's, he, he's going to get paid 15 million odd a year this year, which is what, five million more than any other tight end's ever been. So mm. he's, he's phenomenal. He is the, the revenge tour, I think he's called this season. So we'll get, that <laughs> takes us nicely into, into your 49ers. So here's a bit of trivia for you, Will Gaff. Here's a bit of trivia. Let's test your knowledge because you are one of the most knowledgeable people I know in the game. Let's see if God. you can get this one. What connects the 71 Cowboys, the 72 Finns, the greatest team of all time, of course, and the 2018 Patriots? Uh, losing Super Bowl finalists who went to the Super Bowl the following year. Absolutely spot on. Winners after losing the previous year. So, uh, fine work, first of all, there. Uh, do you buy into the Super Bowl hangover concept? What I buy into is that the NFL is the reason you see those kind of worst-to-first type teams. I mean, let's, lest we forget that no one was suggesting that the 49ers were a Super Bowl team last year, including me, including their most ardent fans. Mm. You know, they were picking second overall. And yes, mm. after a season blighted by injury, but no one thought they were going to go from that to you know, Super Bowl finalists, NFC champions. Mm. I buy into that the NFL is stupidly competitive and that it is very difficult to get there, and that it's very difficult to have the consistency levels that a team like New England's had. Like, everyone right now wants to say the Kansas City Chiefs are going to win five more Super Bowls with Big Red and with Patrick Mahomes, and that they've got a chance of challenging the Patriots dynasty. I remember saying that about so many teams over the past <laughs> 10 or 15 years. Right. And maybe there's not been anyone as transcendent as Patrick Mahomes. Mm. 
But I would have thought that there have been teams that have had every chance to go back and haven't gone back. And, he, and winners or losers, you know, you think about that Panthers team that was so sure. dominant and went Super Bowl 50 and then really papped the bed a little bit against the, the Broncos. Yeah, but yeah. There was no reason to think that with the talent levels they had that they didn't have a chance the following year. And yeah, they had some difficulties with re-signings and stuff. But I think what I will say about the 49ers is that, and I know we're going to get a bit more into it, but if there is a team that are set up to succeed again this year, I think San Francisco are it. Where they've lost players, they've replaced with players of near equal quality, or at least they know they've got rotation in those areas that will work. But those have been famous last words of many men, I'm sure. Well, yeah, let's let's look at that because the changes haven't been, I mean, obviously significant in, in, in Buckner's case and, and Joe Staley too, but there hasn't been a, 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 a wholesale or at least a, a, a significant turnaround in terms of playing personnel, but also coaching staff as well. Often that is one of the real issues, right, with a successful team, certainly a Super Bowl team, that the coordinators go... Uh, and and everything changes, and that's often that often goes under the radar. So there's a quite a lot of continuity there. And I was reading a Shanahan quote, and I want to get your take on on Shanahan. In, in, in a lot of different questions, I got for you on Shanahan. But <laughs> Shanahan said it's not an easy thing to do, uh, bouncing back from a Super Bowl defeat. But we have different people than a lot of teams have. That was his quote. What's he re- What's he referring to? Do you think that is, he talking, is there a certain mindset do you think that he's created this a culture that even though you haven't won anything yet uh, won a Super Bowl yet that it feels like he 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 can sense that's what it is what's he referring to I think we came throughout Super Bowl week one of the storylines that I think we talked about a lot while we were out in Miami and, and rightly so was the kind of camaraderie of this team mm. the unity of that of, of both sides of the ball how they were yeah, whether it was the fact that you had guys coming into the team at wide receiver and proving to be just some... Like, you think about the blocks that guys like Debo Samuel were throwing mm. downfield last year. Um, you think about the way that the running game rotated without any real complaints from guys. And you think about the same for the, the defensive line. And uh, there was... Um, there was quite no, he a, goes. It feels like that. It does feel like that. There was a, a relatively kind of famous incident in the um, uh, in the uh, it must have been the Vikings game when they scored early on. And uh, what I remember is that Emmanuel Mosley came in and took over the snaps opposite yeah. Richard Sherman, took over the right cornerback snaps. And the story is is that the guy they took out immediately went to Robert Saller and went to the special teams coordinator uh, Richard Itar and said to them both give me all of his special team snaps so he can just focus on playing corner. Wow. And that is the way this team kind of operates. And it's the, mm. the way, the reason I think they were able to turn things around so quickly that, and there's a huge amount of talent there as well. I, I, I love the, the guys they've got there. I love the coaching staff, the mix of kind of young, exciting guys like, uh, well, outside of, um, outside of Shanahan, Robert Saller obviously got a lot of play last year. Uh, I think he has to show, some schematic stuff this year to prove himself. But I think like he gets that team G'd up better than anyone else. I think Wes Welker came in, did a fantastic job working with the receivers uh, as another young guy coming in and kind of balancing it on the other side of things with 
I, I, I know you had guys like Mike LaFleur in there as well, another young guy, but actually guys like Bobby Turner Jr., the running's back, running backs coach who worked with Mike Shanahan, worked mm. with him at the Broncos and, and with that unbelievable running game they had there, was in Washington with Kyle Shanahan and Mike Shanahan. And he's kind of the guy who digs, who finds these Raheem Mostert-type players from the rough and, and turns them into viable one-cut top-end backs. Was he that? So he was this Terrell Davis era. Yeah, so Bobby Turner, Bobby Turner was with uh, basically Mike Shanahan's guy for almost his entire career and wow. helped create the system with him. I, I, during opening night, as much as I should have been giddy as a school kid running around and grabbing as many interviews as possible, we did kind of two or three decent ones. And then I spotted Bobby Turner and I spent 25 minutes just listening into them and throwing in the odd question. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff of how do you find these guys, these one-cut guys who seemingly you know fit your system so well who have been reject rejects elsewhere mm. but again i think that comes down to someone like most had so much so many fumbling issues when he was first brought into the lineup the season before they put him back on special teams he was a brilliant gunner and he took his time he improved he proved himself and then had that unbelievable stretch mm. down down the stretch and, and has been now rewarded with an upgraded contract of sorts with all the incentives. Is it still going to be um, commit, running back by committee uh, to a large extent or is, it, is he going to be by far the, the, the feature back, would you say? Is it going to change up this year? I think what was interesting last year is that there were feature backs almost week by week. So right. Raheem Mostert might be like week one through four feature back and then you know, Jarek McKinnon might flash something and so they give it to the hot hand there and then mm. Tevin Coleman, you know, he's a much more diverse back than than Mostert in terms of his work in the passing game, but he might be the hot hand for a few weeks. And that kind of rotation happened throughout last season. Mm. I think Mostert will be the first to get the ball, but I'd be surprised if, you know, you get to the end of the season and you've got one guy who's got 250 snaps more than anyone else. Selfish uh, question as a Dolphins fan. Uh, what are we getting with Matt Breeder? I, I think he's a really good player. I, I, really, I like Matt Breeder a lot. I think there was a case of there were too many cooks almost, um, too many running backs there, and, and they already had committed to Coleman and McKinnon, and they just couldn't pay them all. Um, but I like Matt Breeder a lot. I don't know what he's going to do in the Dolphin system. I, I honestly... I, I don't know what the Dolphin system is going to look like with two of there. I don't know if they're going to have the time to put together a, a new, um, a new looking offense around Tua. But I don't, I, yeah, exactly. I, I'm not so sure that they will. I think that's a really interesting point. And I, and I, you know, I think that from what I can, from what I can work out chatting to our, you know, ESPN colleagues in, in the States about what Flores is, is building there. I think it is going to be very much lead with fits, run first offense for as long as they can go with that. So, yeah. Chan Gailey loves to run the ball. And Matt Breeder, he showed during his stretch as the starting back from kind of uh, the, the early midpoint of the season. And he was really the lead guy for a good stretch of time. It's a fantasy nightmare, honestly, trying to own 49ers running backs. Um, <laughs> yeah. But he, he's shown he can be a volume guy. He's shown you can give him 25 touches in a game and he will put up 150 yards and get you a touchdown. And so I, I like Breeder a lot. Uh, it was a disappointment to see him go, but you've, we've got a lot of people to pay. You always do when you have a lot of high picks. And so... Right. They couldn't keep everyone. You can't keep everybody happy. Uh, uh, the other thing I want to ask you on Shanahan, and, uh, you know, being out in Miami, you know, it was one of the obvious and consistent uh, overplayed topics all week long was how's he going to be on Super Bowl Sunday, given the fact that, oh, it happened before with the Falcons. But now it's happened 
twice that he's been a significant, a key protagonist in two Super Bowls, still a young man, and they've both gone wrong ultimately. If you get back, that has got to be on his mind. Like I get, I get the argument, and a lot of people were very dismissive, saying, "No, look, he's a professional, and it's not going to, you know, it's got to be on his mind." And we're talking about a league of, of really fine margins. I'm not sure that isn't an issue going forwards. Now, of course, if 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 we're seeing a game that the 49ers blow apart the opposition, or it's a comfortable win, then doesn't matter at all. But if it's another nail biter or another really tight game, I mean, that is going to take all kinds of mental strength not to not to feel it, not to feel it, be affected by it. It's harsh to say, considering I am a huge Kyle Shanahan fan. And actually, outside of Matt Rule, who I'm really excited to see what he does in Carolina, I think he's a very, I think he's really special and has that kind of top end head coach potential. Mm. Kyle Shanahan is still the guy I would take of that of that glut of young coaches, Lafleur and Kingsbury and Sean McVay, even who I do like a lot, and McDermott and, and all of those guys. Shanahan is still my guy. Mm. But I do think he's responsible for losing the 49ers the Super Bowl. Mm. There, are, there were four or five key game management decisions in that game. Whether it was letting the clock run out and not taking the time out towards the end of the first half when they would have had an opportunity yeah. to score. Uh, whether it was just not being aggressive enough when they were down near the goal line and had a fourth down and, and kicked it instead and didn't expand the margins out. And then overcorrecting in the fourth quarter. A, a lot of people look at that Jimmy Garoppolo throw to Manny Sanders where he overthrew him. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, but we were watching that game. We were all there. We all know that if they'd scored a touchdown there and gone three, four points up, that you still were giving Pat Mahomes two sure. minutes on the clock. Like, sure. there was no way he wasn't that was, scoring That wasn't again. closing, right? <laughs> like, whereas, in, if you see Tom Brady in that same situation, if you go back and watch that play, there's a guy, uh, there's a guy open over the middle for a first down on the same play. Mm. And you just, you make that throw, you... I, I, and we've never found out, is that Garoppolo made that decision or did Shanahan tell him to go for it? Was it right. like, make the big play, we'll send Manny deep, we'll do it. I just think that they went from not aggressive enough to too aggressive very quickly. And I think if they'd been more aggressive through three quarters, even with Patrick Mahomes being like the first, what was it, the first quarterback to have three 10-point-plus comebacks in the same postseason, yes. I think they could have put it out of even his superhuman reach. So I think there is a mental issue with it. I think it's the big question with Kyle Shanahan. It might be the difference between him being being an Andy Reid type who is an incredible head coach but never gets over the line or it takes him a very long time to get over the line mm. and being the kind of guy who like his dad or like Bill Belichick or you know all those greats before him Bill Walsh and, and all those guys being a multiple Super Bowl winner because I think mm. he has the talent the 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 footballing brain and right now he has the roster to go and win the Super Bowl I think it takes him getting it over the line. And mm. I really hope he does it because I think he's brilliant. I, I love the man, but it's uh, definitely a worry. So either way, he could be the John Elway of coaching is what you're saying. He'll get, he'll get, <laughs> end, end of his career. Uh, I, look, we've got some quick fire questions for you, but, uh, and that's about Will Gav. We're going to find a bit more about Will Gav. Oh God. Will Gav, the man <laughs> as well. Yeah. Uh, don't worry. There aren't too many surprises uh, or too many tricky ones in there. Uh, there is one more I wanted to ask you. Uh, well, I lied. Two more. Two more on, on the West. So one more about the 49ers. You, I think you've given us a pretty big clue when we were talking about the top 100 earlier on, but nevertheless, I want to ask you, there was a lot of buzz, of course, about Brady landing in San Francisco and it didn't happen. 
seemed from what I could see to divide opinion with 49ers fans that half or whatever X number were, nope, we're team Jimmy. And no, actually there's a window. There's always a window. We're really going to be a contender again. He's the guy we need to get us over the line. Where are you on that? Would you, if you, would you prefer Brady over Garoppolo? I don't mean long-term. I get the age. I get you only have him for a year or two or whatever. But if you could have chosen, would you have had Brady this season over Garoppolo? This coming season? Mm-hmm. Uh, Garoppolo. 100%. Uh, I, I know that there were plays and there were moments and people will look at the rest. Of, I mean, to ignore the two games prior to the Super Bowl because mm. it, that was very much about game flow and them saying, why throw it? Why show them our hand? Why show them what we've got in the locker when we know we can just pull guards, run the ball at the middle, run that zone scheme and just absolutely batter a team and, and hold on to the ball? And that's what they did. And, and they just dominated back-to-back sides. I, there were enough flashes in the regular season of the Jimmy Garoppolo pre-injury that we made, we only saw in, in kind of small doses because of his stunted career. But I do, I, I still believe that there is a good quarterback in there. I'm not suggesting he's a top five guy, maybe even not a top 10 guy, but he can be consistent and high quality enough that with everything else around him, he can absolutely take a team to the Super Bowl again. I totally agree with you. I've always been a Jimmy G fan, and I don't, I ha- haven't seen as much film as you be on him because you watched, you watched him presumably every game of the 49 season 11 times, right, like last year. But based not on the ha- Super Bowl, haven't watched it. Have you not watched it back? Have you nope. not? When do you think you're going to open that box? That may never happen. Really? Uh, <laughs> oh, well. I don't know if I could handle it. I've rewatched the Ravens Super Bowl from what twenty. 20- 13 2012 but uh yes i don't i i still don't know if i could do it yet. <laughs> maybe um, maybe shane vereen uh, on on our broadcast mm. after they uh, after uh i think it might have been after the sanders throw it was there was a point where it was clear it really slipped out of our hands just turned around and really put an arm around me and just kind of really consoled me and i was like he knows he understands and yeah. You didn't throw to me for the next section. I was like, probably a good thing. I'll yeah, just stay I, quiet for five minutes. I just minutes. saw that look in your eye and I thought, I better, I better not. I'll tell you, you, were, you actually, fair play to you, stepped up afterwards and I've, you know, genuinely gutted, understandably gutted. And that was, that was quite a tough, that was one of the tougher interviews, interviews chats I've done, you know, because it was like, oh, God, I've got, we've got to talk about this and you, you've hey. got to do a gig. But you were, you were yeah, gutted, understandably so. Um, one more, and then we'll get on to the, the Will Gab quick fire. All good, I'm, all good. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get in serious trouble with Harry uh, for wildly overrunning. Uh, who do you fear the most in the West this season? Out of all, which is it, probably the most compelling division for me, but certainly, yeah, I think it probably would be. Uh, I, I think I'm most fascinated to see how the West plays out. Who do you fear the most? Who's the biggest contender? It, it will always, while Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll are there, be the Seahawks. Even though I personally, and, and I got into this back and forth with various Seahawks fans on, on Twitter, not being good at picking in the first round over the last five years isn't an excuse for giving away as much draft capital as you did for a guy who wants quarterback money to play safety. Yeah. He is a transcendent player, potentially. He might be the best safety in the league eventually. And their secondary is good, but they are not talent rich. And I think there's even an argument that you go beyond Russell Wilson, Jamal Adams, and two or three others, uh, Quandre Diggs. Diggs. Probably, yeah, there's, there's probably kind of four blue chip players there. Mm. But from five to 53, they might be the weakest roster in the division. Wow. 
but they've got Russell Wilson, they've got Pete Carroll, and they've got that sure. spirit. Mm. And you saw it in the two games against San Francisco last year, the win they got in San Francisco and coming within, what, a quarter of an inch of beating them again in, in Seattle, that mm. they will always play you tough and they will always compete while those guys are there. I, I, I'm backing the Rams to have a bounce back here this year. Mm. I think Sean McVay starting to shed some of those those cap issues a little bit and have a bit more manoeuvrability. Moving on from Todd Gurley and being allowed to do what he wants to do with the running game and use a bit more of a committee. I'm not sure whether or not the depth on defense is enough for them, but I, I think the Rams will have a bounce back this year. And actually, the Cardinals showed down the stretch. I mean, Kyler Murray... I, I'm not convinced by Kingsbury, but Kyler Murray really showed down the stretch that he's a good quarterback. Yeah. So I think they're all good. I think it's a, like at the a, NFC and AFC West are the two divisions I'm most excited to watch this season, kind of full stop. Mm. I still think the San Francisco 49ers are the best team in that division, top to bottom. But I wouldn't be that stunned if one to three finishes in any order between Seattle, Los right. Angeles, and, and San Francisco. And, and all competitive. And, you know, there's no weak link there. There's no one you think, well, they're a 4-12 lock, you know. I mean, uh, whereas in the AFC East, for example, <laughs> hello, New York. Right, let's... Um, <laughs> let's let's ingratiate myself once again to Jet Nation. Right, uh, Will, you ready for some quick-fire questions? Let's do it. Uh, were you a fan of the NFL as a kid, or did you come to the game later in life? Probably about 15, 16 years old, I started to follow it. Being actually out in San Francisco, my dad worked for a company out there. And so I came to it semi-late, but mm. kind of still teenager and then really fell in love with it through university, watching it late night with my buddies and staying up for kind of 1 a.m. kickoffs. Sending me, sending me offensive emails probably back in those days. <laughs> <laughs> Who is that guy? Uh, right. You are uh, a fan of many sports, right? I mean, you're, you're a brilliant extra time show covering all kinds of sports. The nature of that, you cover WWE. You are anchoring UFC on Talk Sport these days. So uh, is NFL your first love or your true love, I should say, out of all of those? Absolutely. It's the best sport in the world, hands down for me. Um, you work at talk sport you have to love your football and i do love football and that's the sport i grew up loving i played rugby growing up as you said i've covered all sorts of other fight sports but nfl is top of my lists all day long me too but don't tell anyone uh any given sunday or varsity blues any given sunday didn't even blink on that one didn't even blink me too as well on that one black eyed peas halftime show maroon five's halftime show oh god I was there for Maroon 5. It was bad. Well, was we were both there, yeah. Um, but the piece had Slash, so that's what tips me, tips me on. <laughs> I, think, I think I might shade Maroon 5 just because the Black Eyed Peas. Like, Maroon 5 was just, it was bland throughout. Whereas the, maybe the Black Eyed Peas was more like a car crash. Actually, yeah, let's go Black Eyed Peas. It's more entertaining. It was yeah, so Maroon 5 was so dull. Well, on that note, which act would you most like to see at a Super Bowl halftime show? Uh, I want to see Springsteen back again. I think yeah, outside, out, you're just kind of curry favorite. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, seriously, I think outside of Prince, um, he's his is the best halftime show because it's it's just the last fifteen minutes of a Springsteen gig. It's nothing yeah. more than that. There's no bells and whistles. It's just his four or five absolute bangers, and we're gonna have fun doing it. Uh, with you, one hundred percent. Please make that happen. I don't know how Jay Z and Springsteen they probably get on. I'm sure they. I'm sure Jay Z oh, has have, that respect. To be clear, I'd have Jay Z there in a heartbeat as well. I'd have him. Yeah, but, I know he's the cultural consultant or whatever yeah, he is now. Right. Uh, he's one of the best live acts I've ever seen. I would happily have him do it as well. 
Maybe Jay-Z a Jay Z Springsteen, Springsteen. We'll go back to New York and we'll have Jay Z and Springsteen <laughs> co-headlining it in their hometown. It's a lock. I want to see it. Uh, <laughs> what's been your favourite Super Bowl and why? Maybe your favourite Super Bowl that you've covered. Let's let's narrow it down a little bit. We, it's so funny. We were having this very conversation the other day. Mm. Is it really petty of me to say Minnesota because the Patriots lost? Because that is <laughs> absolutely <laughs> in the conversation. Um, I, that was so brilliant and back and forth. We've been so lucky. I've been to six mm. now and they've all been really, really good games of football. Mm. Um, but I think the first one in Arizona, the Malcolm Butler interception on the line, the helmet mm. catch prior to that, the back and forth between the Patriots and Seahawks. That was a pretty good one as well. Even though as a fan, the two teams I like rooting against the most, one of them had to win, uh, mm. but it was just first time there. Brilliant game. Mm. Just phenomenal. That was one of my, one of my puzzle versions as well. It was the first one I anchored. So I, I like that one. I think the Minnesota one, was that when I knocked over a coffee onto the <laughs> desk within three minutes of being there? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, very possibly. Yeah. Me and Ollie are like stressing out, trying to get everything set up and Nat just comes storming in. Pro- probably with Greg Rosenthal, not far behind you going, when are we doing a hit with Greg? And then coffee goes everywhere. <laughs> and Even more klutzy than usual. <laughs> uh, who's the person that you'd be most starstruck by at Super Bowl? I think when I met Ronnie Lott, uh, was close. This blank space on this wall behind me, which mm. is uh, in my new office, in my new house, is going to have my signed Ronnie Lott jersey on it once I find a frame big enough because it's absolutely huge. Uh, I mean, anyone from that era, Jerry Rice was the same, but kind yeah. of had a chance to meet him a few times now and, and, he, and he always talks about my beard, so I'm a big fan of his because of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> did, he, did, he, did he get, I mean, were you tongue-tied at all? Or did, he, did you notice it affected you with Ronnie Lott or did you style it up? Do you know what? Ronnie Lott was just the most chilled out, relaxed guy. And he just had no, I kind of, I bigged it up in the intro that this was mm. like my favorite defensive player in the NFL of all time. Mm. And he just kind of went, thank you. And that was, <laughs> that kind of reaction was just, just the right thing I needed to just make it go great. Perfect. I don't know how much this tells our listeners about the difference between me and you, but Ric Flair was, was my answer. <laughs> Actually, it's probably be on your list, I'm sure. Well, do you know what? Stone Cold Steve Austin might, yeah. if, if he was there, that might be the person who I would struggle the most <laughs> with, or The Rock, maybe. Also, because I've noticed with Stone Cold as well, when he's doing, I've been watching, uh, I listen to his podcast sometimes, I've been watching, I was just flicking through and watching, presumably it's his podcast, but you just broadcast on BT or something. And he is one of those people that just fixes you with an absolute stare when he's asking. He's as aggressive as he was as a wrestler, as an interviewer. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he never takes his eyes yeah. off you. Constant <laughs> eye contact. Just... Yeah, love it. It's totally deadpan face the whole time. Um, which quarterback's going to have a more successful NFL career? Jalen Hurts or Jordan Love? Oh, Jordan Love. How, why? Expand. Uh, I think that he is set up to follow in Aaron Rodgers' footsteps in Green Bay with a good system and decent coaching. And I'm making this up as I go along a little bit. Uh, I, <laughs> well, I we don't, don't really know, do we? I mean, <laughs> taking a snap, but all right, last one. I, I think just to, just to say, I think he's he's the more all-round package in theory mm. when it comes to his skill set. But, you know, we've seen it so many times where, you know, if you watch Derek Carr and David Carr in college, David Carr's the better quarterback by mm. a country mile. Mm. But based on their situation they've ended up in, Everything, huh? well, it's how it developed. Yeah. All right, last one. Your dream NFL dinner party. So five people associated with the NFL. I'll be as tenuous as that. Past, present, future. <laughs> uh, who would you have? 
So uh, do I have to go Nat Coombs, uh, uh, Neil Reynolds, Matt Sherry? Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> um, that would be, uh, be cr- off the chart crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, associated with the NFL full stop. Mm-hmm. Can it so be a that, I mean, You can have broadcasters, you can have writers, you can have coaches, you can have Dan Snyder if you want, Will. Yeah. Can, it, can it be alive or dead, or is it only... Yeah, 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 past or present. Okay. Uh, John Madden. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> possibly Bill Walsh, although nice. I, I understand he wasn't a particularly fun individual, but I just think he's fascinating. I we just... could put him at the end of the table with Stone Cold. And <laughs> 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 work it out. <laughs> Uh, oh come on! This got me. I mean, actually, I would say I know picking two forty-nine is probably a bit of a weak source move. But I'm gonna have I'm gonna have Jerry Rice there because he is the nicest man in the world, mm. and you know they keep everyone pretty entertained. There's so many from history. Um, Vince Lombardi, I think. Uh, there's some really funny stories about him. Like he sounds like a kind of. This part of me wants to go Lombardi Walsh. Uh, Belichick and just get all the great coaches and oh, just great. put them in a room and I just get to sit there and listen. In that fact, I might great. do it. In fact, do you know what? Uh, Shula, Lombardi, nice. Belichick, Bill Walsh and... Put Dick Vermeil in because I just think he'd be a lot of fun. Do you know what? <laughs> Dick Vermeil is again one of the nicest guys in the world yeah. and he owns a vineyard so he can provide the oh, wine. You know, we'll have Dick Vermeil, why not? He would be the one getting the shot glasses out. I guarantee you, for me, would instigate that. There's no doubt. Um, Will, it's been great to catch up with you, man. Uh, Our listeners can catch you, of course, on the Gridiron Pod, so plug away with that. Uh, So we are on a bit of a hiatus at the moment. We've not done shows since after the draft because uh, there's uh, some stuff that I can't talk about at the moment, but Ah. there's a big relaunch slash a whole new wave of things coming out of Gridiron and out of Tri-North over the coming months. I may have already said too much and we'll get lambasted for Matthew Sherry for that. We can always but cut it if we need to. In, <laughs> in the meantime, uh, do check out the, the annual Bookazine uh, is out now. And I know with COVID it's had to change about 17 times. So Matt's worked really hard on that. And the guys, we do the weekly magazine, the kind of YouTube videos and stuff as well. So do check that out. And I mean, hopefully you and I coming to talk sport in extended fashion from September onwards, doing many, many games and, uh, and having some fun doing it. Looking forward to that. Uh, amen to that. Great to catch up with you. Terrific work as ever, bud. Look after yourself. Cheers, buddy. Lovely stuff from both guests. Terrific to catch up with them both. And you will hear them on the show very, very soon. We're back next week. Jay Bell back in the house. That is a don't miss. Put it in your diaries, gang. Dropping that one on Thursday. Next week, we've got some uh, special interviews coming up as well, which are going to be dropping over the next few weeks. And uh, where are we now? Two weeks or so away is when we start uh, dialing down uh, to our season previews. We are keeping optimistic the season is going to start on time. Iron Mike's going to help us with both an AFC and an NFC preview uh, deep diving coming up over the next couple of weeks as well. So rolling up the pods all through August to get you set for the big show. So you know the drill. If you haven't already, subscribe to us, whichever podcast you're listening to. And incidentally, if you have 30, 40 seconds, hop onto that podcatcher and leave us a nice review. Hey, it helps uh, other people find the show. And most importantly of all, as I say each and every time, it puts a big smile on Harry, the producer's face. And we need to keep Harry, the producer, happy. So we would really appreciate that if you can. J-Bell next week. We'll see you then. Bye for now.
Sports Social Podcast Network.